0: Turn your Bibles to Joshua chapter 24, Joshua 24, this is what the Word of the Lord says in Joshua 24, 14. Now for fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the God of your fathers served in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites, in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. My task in this session is to uh, challenge us as men. In the, in the current stage that men my age are, but also as we train young men, what is it that we're pre- preparing them for? In this particular narrative, we've come to the end of Joshua's life. He's now moved into the promised land, he's, he's conquered, and, and now what should be ringing in their ears is Deuteronomy chapter 5, and Deuteronomy chapter 6, and Deuteronomy 7, and 8, and 9. Because what the call was in Deuteronomy 5 was to hear the word of the Lord, listen to the commands, they're going into a pagan place, overrun with pagans. And yet it was the word of the Lord that was to anchor them in promise to live long in the land and to overcome. And now they've conquered physically. But but we know what happens. You look a, a chapter later in the chronological unfolding of the book. And Joshua and all those who were leaders with him die. And then there arose, the Bible says, another generation who did not know the God of their fathers. Joshua's asking a question here. He's asking a question about who are you going to serve? The gods that were served in Egypt, the gods that are served here among the Amorites in the land in which you live? Are you going to serve the one true God? I think this is a question relative to us today in our masculinity, in how we think about life. I think this is a question for you to ask yourself now. Do, Do you hear it? Are you paying attention to the culture. You don't have to be silent for very long to to hear what the culture is saying. Listen to the gods that they're calling you to serve. If you've ever been in a a different culture, particularly in the Middle East, and you'll hear certain sounds at certain times of the day that are calls to worship, those things in a very real way are happening in our culture today. Do, Do you hear the gods that they're calling you to serve? Build the self. Indulge In the self, please the self, unhinge yourself from burdens, pursue apathy because genuinely apathy is most healthy. What it means to be masculine, however, is to bear appropriate burdens. We've been talking about that today spiritual provision and protection, Uh, physical provision and protection, the burden of responsibility that's what it means to be a man. I'm going to argue in this session that we need to grow young men and be, young, be men who bear the burden of the final say, that, that we're willing to bear the weight of what it means to make the final call, to be responsible for what God has given us to be responsible for. But the call of the gods of this age are calling you in a different direction. And at some point, you're going to have to make the decision, just as Joshua makes the call here, to choose who you will serve. Because the outcome is radically different depending upon who you give yourself to. And it's not a question of will you serve. You will serve a God. Will it be the true God of Scripture? Because Joshua's call here is to fear the Lord and serve him or to serve other gods. Proverbs 4.26 says this, give careful thought to the paths of your feet, be steadfast in all your ways. He's just finished telling, uh, Solomon has just finished saying, uh, be diligent, guard your heart with all diligence. Why? Because from it flow the springs of life. And when your heart is swayed by the gods of the earth, your path walks in a different direction. What kinds of gods are we speaking of? I could go on and on and on about the gods of this age. I'm going to narrow it down to two because of time. The God of self, which is manifested in terms of pride and arrogance. I'm so glad that we're giving away today uh, the book by J.C. Ryle, Thoughts for Young Men. It should be 100% required reading for every young man. 100%. I think all old men should read it. Arrogance of pursuing the self. Young men... I train and teach young men. What I've seen in over a decade now of training young seminary students is I see a growing arrogance in young men. Do you know why? I think this has always been a part of of a young man wanting to make his way, wanting to, to make his statement into the world. But I think one of the reasons is this is the first generation that we've ever lived in to where we can gain knowledge without the necessity of elders. You type on Google, you can get any knowledge that you want. It might not be right knowledge, but you can gain knowledge. And so we've divorced ourselves from any aspect of wisdom in gaining life experience, in understanding from the mistakes and the the successes of those who have gone before us, as the Bible tells us to do. Yet we step out in arrogance, not being teachable, pursuing self-exaltation, pursuing self-indulgence, pursuing self-protection. Among, uh, among everything. But hear the call of Solomon when he's teaching in Proverbs 1 through 9 where he's, he's talking to his sons and he's telling them to pursue lady wisdom. And, and how are we to do that? Give ear to my instruction. Listen, son, to my commandment. One of the things that marks a godly young man is you're preparing. You, you want to be prepared well to be a man, to, to, to serve a wife, to lead a family, you have to learn to be teachable. You see, when we gain information in that Google-infused world that we live in, essentially what's happening is we gain, we gain knowledge. But the Bible warns that knowledge itself puffs up. Knowledge itself builds and exalts the self. It leads to pride. It leads to arrogance. And when you're placed in the role of a man who's leading a wife and leading a family, and you're infused With pride, you will destroy the wife that you say that you cherish. You will destroy the family that you say you want to lead. And in the wake, you will leave nothing but death and destruction. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 3 says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that the Lord has assigned To him, Do you hear the call of the scripture? It's quite the opposite of what we're hearing in the culture. To to just simply grow in intellect, to grow in knowledge, and that becomes the measure of a genuine leader. That's not a biblical view of what it means to be a man and what it means to lead. Yes, knowledge in and of itself is not necessarily bad, but unhinged from wisdom, it's destructive, and it will destroy you and those you lead. By nature, The fact that God has created legitimate authority means that all those who are under any authority are vulnerable to the one who's in authority. And so you can strip all the language that you want with semantic mysticism about who a man is and who he ought to be and whether or not he should lead and whether churches should have leaders and government should have leaders. There will always be leaders. And the fact of the matter is, is everyone who falls under them is vulnerable. So if they're a bad leader, it makes the the people under them more vulnerable. Do not aban- I don't care what the culture says don't abandon your responsibility as a man for your family because it will be more destructive and it will make the people under your care more vulnerable than they would be otherwise. Colossians 3:12 put on then as God's chosen ones holy and beloved compassionate hearts kindness humility meekness and patience. We should be teaching our young men that that sounds a lot like the Lord Jesus And that's what Paul is calling the Colossian church to, is to be conformed to the image of Christ, to walk in humility, not in arrogance. Young guys, if you want to learn to lead a wife, learn to be teachable and listen to instruction. Because dare I say, if you want that woman to submit to you, you must lead in your submission to genuine authority. The God of the universe, learning to be teachable, having your heart moldable according to his ways. Philippians 2, 7 and 8. But he, talking about Christ, made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So what it means to be a genuine leader is to be a a servant. Men are not much greater than mules, to be honest. It's our job to take the fall for the glory that the Lord has given to us in our female companions and in the children that the Lord blesses us with. The second god of the age is selfish pursuit of pleasure. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3:1. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 1. This is what the Bible says. <clears throat> but understand this that in the last days There will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. In that book that you're giving away, I had no idea, but most of the quotes you're about to hear are from J.C. Rowell and that book, so I'll give you a, pre- uh, a, a preface. Fritter away, he says, the most precious years. Uh, he, he's. Frit, do, do not fritter away the most precious years of your life. What you sow in youth, he says, you will reap in adulthood. Earthly pleasures, he goes on, are unsatisfying, empty, and meaningless. If you cling to earthly pleasures, he says, these are the things that murder your souls. We're growing in a culture, and if I had time, we would dive into this in how we think about this term adolescence, which is an ungodly, hellish philosophy. Because we've called young men to try and pursue freedom without responsibility. We've called young men in our culture That the way that you grow up is to enjoy yourself and to pursue your own pleasure so much so that we now have a category of what's called adolescence, where men, it's cool to hang in your parents' basement and play video games. What we're calling people to is freedom without responsibility. This is the constant pursuit of pleasure. And the pleasures that you pursue build yourself to where you can never genuinely lead a family. You can never genuinely bear the burden of responsibility for people that God could entrust to you. If you want to be a man, die to yourself. You want to learn to be a man? Give up the pleasures that you're pursuing consistently. Paul says it like this, put to death therefore what is earthly in you. And here's the danger, is you get in the habit of pursuing the flesh, you get in the habit of pursuing pleasure. This is what J.C. Rowe says, habits have long roots. Habits like trees are strengthened with age. He goes on to say, a boy can uproot a sapling, but a hundred men may not budge an oak that's full grown. And what he's saying is the patterns and habits that you find yourself in at a young age are so much more difficult to uproot. So get good habits now. What does it mean to be a man, to pursue discipleship? Luke 9, 23. If any man wishes to be my disciple, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. If you're looking for a blueprint of what it means to be a man, it's you learn to die to you. You be around older men who can teach you. Let me pause for just a second and encourage you in this way. That passage in Deuteronomy chapter 6, if you were to go back and read the Shema, grandparenting is not about spoiling grandchildren. Grandparenting, you have just as much a responsibility to teach and train your grandchildren about the things of God is the call of the Shema. We have a responsibility to pour into our children so that they would know the things of God, a Godward orientation in everything and everywhere that our children go. We are to teach them self-control putting to death, therefore, what is earthly in them, to trust in the promises of this good God, to be the type of man that God calls us to be, to live selfless for the sake of those whom God entrusts to us. Self-control comes by death to self. Romans 13, 14, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. Self-control comes by death to self. It is the fruit of the Spirit of God as you die to yourself. Proverbs 25, 28 says this, A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. Are you getting the picture? Do you see the word picture that Solomon is giving to you here? This is actually a very manly expression, a manly metaphor. We're saying if we're thinking about war games, and you're a city that's like being without walls, You're completely vulnerable to the enemy who's going to come in and destroy you. That's what it's like being a man without self-control. And yet we are busy, even in the church. We're busy about raising men who have zero self-control. And we chalk it up to saying that they're just going through a phase. They're just going through a period of life. And that this is good because this is how we grow and develop. If you don't believe that's a philosophy, I got a stack of reading for you. This is the philosophy that they've been pursuing for over 150 years in education, trying to strip the role of parents even in the way that we educate our children. And so if you think about this, it's a drive toward being like a man, being like a city that's without walls. That's what it means when you don't have self-control. So what's the call? The call is to Walk by the Spirit, so you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, so that you will be self-controlled, and you will have a defense against all the the gods of the world, the pursuit of pleasure, the pursuit of pride. We've said a couple of times today about physical protection. We are absolutely 100% called to physically protect those who who are given to us, wife, children, and those who are around us, I would argue, as men. But dare I say, it's probably easier for you to physically give your life for your wife or those entrusted to you than it is to die to yourself every day for their sake. Have you thought about that as a man? That instead of getting home and not engaging, that you dying to yourself and the things that you want to pursue and the things you want to spend money on and the places you want to go and the things you still uh, want to You have wishes to do and that you die to yourself for the sake of food, those whom God has entrusted to you. And now you protect them from the vulnerability that they naturally have under your care. But we're raising men currently who are lovers of themselves, lovers of pleasure, have empty and selfish ambition and vain conceit. And James 3.16 says that that leads to every vile practice we want to know why women and children are vulnerable to the philosophies that Aaron just talked about and to abuse in the culture that we live in it's because men are not being men how does this happen a few minutes left turn to Genesis chapter 3 there are two ditches in masculinity two ditches Genesis chapter 3 you see it I think one of them here in Genesis 3 you guys are familiar with the the narrative of the fall Adam is told in Genesis 1, and it's reiterated in Genesis chapter 2, of his responsibility, his role. The commands are given to the man. And then Genesis 2.24, we see the narrative. The woman is given to the man, brought to the man. He takes a wife, he's told to leave and cleave. And then we see Genesis chapter 3 unfold. And the interesting part of that, or one of the interesting parts of that passage, is what you see is Adam, he's standing with her the whole time. What he's called to do in leadership, to give himself to protect his bride, he does nothing. He stands there with her, and he takes the fruit after she's done eating it. There are two ditches. We're told right now that what it means to be a man is uh, there's toxic masculinity. And there's a toxic style of masculinity. There's no question about that. But the way it's described now is in preference to passivity. That was a part of the first sin, was for a man to be passive. If you look over the last several decades, one of the most damning things that's happened in our culture is fatherlessness. Disengagement of fathers in the home. It is equally destructive on society as it is if you're a tyrant and you're abusive. So when we talk about masculinity, servant headship is biblical, right, and healthy and good for the social order. Sinful expressions of those are passivity, when you disengage and you leave the people under your care vulnerable, or you use them for your own gain. That's abusive and tyrannical. Both, the Bible says, are sinful because they're not expressions of the headship of Christ for his bride. And what it means to be a man is that you learn to lay down your life for your bride. As Christ did. The thing that Adam could not do, Jesus did. When we were vulnerable, naked and ashamed, the Bible says, he clothed us in his righteousness. We need to cease from running after freedom without responsibility. Freedom comes. When you become a man and take on a bride, you have freedom. But it's never, don't believe the lie, it's never without responsibility. You can play video games all day long. That should demonstrate we have a natural desire, as Adam said, to to want to conquer, to have dominion. That's good, but it's fantasy. You can't have that without responsibility, or it's destructive. And the final thing I'll say is this In that narrative in Genesis chapter 3, you notice, even though we learn in the New Testament it was the wife who was deceived, who's responsible for the first sin? The Bible says in Romans chapter 5 that it was through one man that sin entered into the world. And who was God looking for when he came? We have to grow men who are willing to bear the burden of the final say. When we have big decisions in my house, my wife, I I listen to everything she has to say. And sometimes I wish she would just decide and it would get me off the hook. but she'll often end some time of prayer or long season of us discussing this and say, babe, uh, I love you. Just remember when you make this decision that you have to answer to the Lord. And in, in her world, that's a, that's a security. That's a blessing. It's not a tyranny. And if I neglect my responsibility as a man, I leave her all the more vulnerable. So to grow up to be men who want to take the burden of the final say. Because just making the final say doesn't make you in control. Everybody's not at your disposal. To bear the burden of the final say is to do it, as Joshua said in the beginning, choose you this day whom you serve, the God of the Amorites, or will you fear God and serve him? Because to bear the burden of the final say, you must fear the Lord. And make your decisions in ways that are fearing him above men, above culture, so that you can protect the ones that the Lord has entrusted to you. That's what it means to be a man. Let me pray. Lord, we're grateful for the time. What a wonderful day in hearing your truth. And I pray, Lord, that these things would resonate in our hearts, that you would grow us, because, Lord, the fact of the matter is we need it. Our natural propensity born into sin is to love ourselves and to be prideful to be selfish. And Lord, by your discipleship, we pray that we would be men who would die to ourselves. We would raise men who learn to die to themselves to want to please you. And then we will be ready uh, to serve those whom you entrust to us. May it be so among us here at Mission Road in Christ's name. Amen.